0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to another exciting edition of School for Startups Radio. Today is Friday, the 8th of October. I hope you're having a great day and have big plans for the weekend. This is actually my anniversary weekend. My beautiful wife and I are going to celebrate 11 years of blissful wedded matrimony. Uh, I had to do the math last night and make sure that it was right and make sure that my oldest child was not a bastard, not my oldest, but my oldest child with this woman. So anyway, yes, William was legal. We did the math and he's all good. Anyway, we've got a great show. for oh, I got to say this. My wife has been amazing. She has supported me through unbelievable ups and downs and has been the best entrepreneurial wife ever. If you don't have a great spouse as an entrepreneur, it is so much harder. You need to find a great, great spouse. And Megan is the example. She just couldn't be a better wife. Uh, truly amazing. Anyway, thank you, honey so much. Love you got a great show for you today. We're going to start off with the craziest guest I think I've ever had. This story will blow you away. I mean, blow you away. Billion dollars in sales, all sorts of crazy stuff. And then we're going to talk about connecting and reconnecting during, after the pandemic. So we got a great show for you on this busy Friday. And again, I hope you have some fun plans for the weekend think my wife is making me work anyway we got a great show appreciate you being with us and we're going to get started in just about 10 seconds we are back and again thank you so very much for being with us on this beautiful friday afternoon i hope it's beautiful where you are very excited to introduce another great entrepreneur to the mix. Please welcome Shaheen Shayen to the show. Very simple to introduce him. He is the number one Amazon accelerator out there. And here's the simple part, $350 million in sales. Shaboom, drop the mic, walk away. Shayen, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. 350 million dude walk away you you know drop the mic Don't, you you agree I do
1: and in fact I always tell this crazy story that I went from nothing leaving home at 15 less than nothing and having this crazy life sleeping in abandoned buildings I was in debt to this like kind of uh, mobby type guy this kind of mafioso wannabe type guy And I managed to get out of that, get involved in the electronic music scene, invent this insane pill, distribute it through drug dealers at clubs during those days as a legal product that they could sell not to get into trouble. And I managed within a very short period of time to create over a billion dollars In revenue. It was widely publicized that we had a $350 million dollar year, but somewhere around year two ish, we had broken a billion dollars. And I remember I walked into my office, and this was the time where I noticed that I had over 200 employees. If you could fog up a mirror in those days in Venice Beach, I would hire you. I was producing these pills, this all-natural legal alternative to ecstasy called herbal ecstasy, producing it for $0.25 a unit, selling it for $20 cash all day long. And the news broke. CNN wanted to interview me. Sam Donaldson from Nightline was on his way to my office, and we had broken a billion, with a B, dollars in revenue. This was, Jim, this was pre-internet pre-social media, pre-cell phones that gave you instant access to information, pre-Silicon Valley. I had done this six months earlier, sleeping on the beach. And I remember having this insane panic attack, thinking to myself, dude, you don't know how much a billion is. Not that theoretically I didn't know what that meant. I literally did not know how much a billion dollars was.
0: Unbelievable. Can you explain what herbal ecstasy is? It's a word I don't know. A a nootropic drug? Is that the correct word? What does that mean? I'm not very smart. Totally. Totally. Let's backtrack. We're talking about the 1990s.
1: Electronic music is at its height. People are emerging from all areas of counterculture, getting involved in electronic music. Before this, we had the 80s, the 70s, and the 60s. The 60s, which we had that whole psychedelics generation kind of petering off into the 70s. The 80s were all cocaine-fueled. But in the 90s, we had this new type of music. Electronic music. Computers were getting more advanced. And the most popular drug at the time was an illicit drug, a designer drug known as MDMA, dioxymethamphetamine, otherwise known in those times as ecstasy. Now, the problem was in the 1990s, the government banned ecstasy, where you could commonly get it. Psychologists were using it for therapy. It was a very widely used uh, pill. It became illegal sometime around the 1990s, maybe it was the late 80s, it became illegal. And there was an illicit trade in this stuff. It became the most popular party drug in the world. People were using it, having all kinds of great experiences, but it became illegal and the supply of it dried up. And I came out during those times as a teenager and I thought to myself, hey, what if I could feed this distribution need, feed this market with a product that's legal, that's natural, that has no side effects and that could create a similar effect to ecstasy. And I did it. I somehow figured it out with my tiny teenage brain. I managed to figure out a way to do that, to make it with herbal ingredients. But what I was lacking, Jim,
0: was the distribution. I couldn't it's always figure the out- distribution that gets you. It's always the distribution. That and hiding 100 million illegal dollars, except yours is legal. I got to ask this. So. Shaheen I uh strangely enough have a patent on a paint that blocks wi fi signals and that you would use it in a baby's nursery so the baby's brain doesn't get fried or at a law office so that your wi fi can't get stolen or in a movie theater so people can't surf the net when they're uh at a movie. I have that patent I didn't invent it I'm a patent holder with four Indian. High school kids. So I'm down with high school kids inventing drugs and paints and stuff, but I I got to hear how your small teenage brain, ha 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 ha, funny, funny invented this. I mean, how did you research and learn how to make legal MDMA?
1: So now you've got to remember that I came from the third world. I was born in Iran during the late 1970s, around 1975. And I moved to the United States as a refugee with my family. I had a huge chip on my shoulder because every day I would get the holy living, you know what, kicked out of me at school. It was during Iran-Contra, Reagan era, trickle-down economics, all that stuff. And we realized very quickly that we were second and third class citizens in this country. And I saw great wealth coming up around me. And I wanted to capture that wealth, but there was no path to it for me so rather than continuing my process at school which was only going to get me in trouble i got into fights every day i started a a little business in school selling illicit things as a adolescent we would go into the local liquor store and steal nudie magazines and liquor and sell it and we got always got busted we're terrible at crime put into detention and in detention you get the criminal kids in detention. What do they need? Illicit things. That was the best thing for business ever. But <laughs> through that process, yeah, through that process, Jim, I, I learned that if I was going to get out of the rat race and stay out of jail, because I knew I was bad at crime and it was not good for me to be involved in that, that if I was going to get out of the rat race, I had to excel. So, As opposed to going back to the playground, continuing to get into fights when the other kids were in the playground, when the other kids were doing all that fun stuff, I was reading Think and Grow Rich. I was reading books by Og Mandino. I was reading Tony Robbins. I was listening to Alan Watts. I was doing anything and everything I could do to improve myself. Only problem was I was too young. This is pre-internet. So By the time I reached 15 years old, I decided I'm going to get the F out of here. And I remember reading in Think and Grow Rich, the the famous canon by Napoleon Hill, that specialized knowledge can be bought. We talk about in my book, Billion, How I Became King of the Thrill Pill Cult, where I outline my story and everything just Mm -hmm. dropped on Amazon, by the way. But I talk about the three principles that one of my mentors, Wayne Boss, taught me knowledge, courage and action. And the first aspect of that, if you have a problem to solve, if you want to succeed in any endeavor, the first thing that you need is knowledge. So, in this event, I thought, how do I get knowledge? You can buy it, borrow it, steal it, rent it, but you need that knowledge. And that's what I did. I went out, I started calling herbalists on the phone, I started calling people that made pills, I called everybody that I could, I called authors, I got a hold of Andrew Wilde, the great herbalist and naturopath doctor he's a tv doctor now but he published all these uh school books on plant medicine so i called the guy and i managed to get people they were so convinced by the grit that i had they could smell it on me that i was hungry and they chose to help me i wouldn't take no for an answer so it wouldn't i wouldn't matter to me if they said no and some people were like you know okay hey, kid scat and i'd be like all right next and I'd pick up the phone, but I figured it out. I managed to get myself a girlfriend at the time, and I'm getting to the answer to your question. And I managed to convince her to let me cook it up in her kitchen while her father was out. And I had all these herbs that I managed to get somebody in Chinatown to front me. And then we were rolling them up into little balls because I didn't have the machines to make the pills yet. And finally, we got to the point where I had a little baggie full of five of these little balls. They were black goo, disgusting little things. But if you took them, you would have a transformational experience and probably dance your butt off for the next five to six hours. And I knew in that moment that we were ready. So I went to the club because you remember it was the wave electronic music scene at the time. I found the first big drug dealer that I could find I gathered all my courage, my cojones. I walked up to him and I said, buddy, you're going to sell this. And he looked me in the eyes and he said, are you a cop? I said, no. He said, uh, get the F out of here. And I said, what do you mean? And I knew, Jim, in that moment was my time.
0: To Again, it's always the business. distribution that kicks you in the ass. Okay, keep going. A great story. Keep going. What happens next? Yeah. So in that
1: moment... Two party came up to him. Now, remember what I told you. The supply of the real drugs had dried up. I was in the right place at the right time. The supply had dried up. He didn't have anything to sell. And customers are standing in front of him. And he's saying, you know, telling him to go. I don't have anything to sell you. And then he looks at me. And I was standing there sweating bullets, sweaty palms. This was one of those guys, you know, in the... Now, if you got tattoos on your face, you're probably a TikToker. Back in the '80s, if you had tattoos on your face, you were probably clinically insane. You, this guy had tattoos on his face in the '80s. Totally different thing. He had those little teardrop things, you know, which I think yep. signify how, how many people you kill in jail. This was a real life mafioso, drug dealer type guy, and he probably had killed people. And he is looking at me. He motions over. I hand him a baggie of the pills. He grabs the entire backpack full of them and goes, come back in an hour. You better not be messing with me. Now the clock is ticking and I go away. And some time passes, an hour, two hours. And I look over and it looks like people are having fun. People are dancing. I see him popping a bunch of them, probably way more than he should have. He must've taken 20 or 30 of them himself. I get there. His bodyguard ushers me in. And I thought, dude, this is it. I've had a great run. My life has been really good. I am now about to get killed by this man. And he looks me straight in the eye. Mind you, I'm, I'm just this teenager sweating, you know, sweating balls of sweat everywhere, looking at him. And he goes, kid, when can you get me more? And that was it. We got one guy to five guys to a thousand guys to 10,000 guys. And in six months, we had reached that billion Dollar point. I was in Tower Records, Warehouse Records, Urban Outfitters, GNC, General Nutrition Center, every possible place where you could sell pills and places where they had never sold pills. Larry Flint with the Hustler fame, the fame pornographer, called us. He wanted to distribute it to all the sex shops in the world. We got calls all over the world. We had offices in 32 or more countries. This was one of the hottest phenomena to happen pre internet. Pre Silicon Valley, pre all that stuff, and I learned a lot. It was a wild ride.
0: And what happens at the end? How does I, uh, uh, you die, go to jail, or get bought? And you're currently a billionaire living in an island. Uh, which one? I love the, that. Which one is it?
1: I love that. I like to feel like I die a little bit every day because it allows me to be reborn. That sounds strangely religious, which I am not, but I like the way that sounds. Uh, I did not die. I did make a significant amount of money and I managed to raise a lot of eyebrows. Can you imagine a long haired kid peddling a legal drug in the United States to millions of partygoers, unmolested by the government? Doesn't happen. No.
0: Yeah. So did you get, is the drug legal still? It is no longer legal because
1: of me. Okay. They went. Tell the uh, tell the
0: rest of the story. Tell the the uh, ugly part, uh, the government part.
1: Well, you know, look, I think it was all part of the journey. I don't think a lot of it was ugly, but the government came after us. They tried to ban our ingredients. They tried to get every three letter agency after us. If it were illegal, they would know exactly what to do. It would have been very easy for them. They would say, "Oh, illegal drugs, DEA." They would say, "Oh, uh, you're." Uh, evading this, evading that. Here's this three-letter agency that they didn't have any of those. This was unprecedented. Nobody had ever made a supplement and used it recreationally in 2,000 years. They didn't know what to do with us. So what they did was they tried to ban the individual ingredients. I spoke in front of congressional members, hearings, divisions, departments, all that stuff. I blew millions and millions on attorney's fees just to learn that no matter how much money you have, You can never fight the government and win because they can go forever and ever. And so what happened is eventually they won. I I petered out. We change, every time we would play cat and mouse. I would change the formula. They would ban my next ingredient. I would go on TV and say, "Hey guys, uh, Fruit Loops are the next." Uh, and and forgive me, I'm, I'm I'm using that as an example. Fruit Loops are very safe and healthy, or or not, but they're what they are. But I would say, "Hey, this fruit is part of the uh, next ingredients for my products." And you'd hear the next day, uh, you know, the committee on da 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 is banning this ingredient, and they would just ban ingredients <laughs> to try to get one step ahead of us. And it got tiresome. It got tiresome to do that. And right about that time, I decided I was going to solve a bigger problem. And I went off to develop a technology to solve the problem of smoking. I learned that when you smoke, you create smoke, tar, and carbon monoxide. I learned that those are the only three or the three main cancer-causing or carcinogenic elements caused by smoking. So I went off and I developed this device that could vaporize any plant substance without smoke, char and carbon monoxide. And that became the very first digital vaporizer in the world. It's the forerunner to all the vape technology you see today, all the vapes you see out there, all derived from technology that I built and patented and wrote the first book on that company went public. It was another awesome wild ride because there was no vape. There was no vaporization until we invented it. And then from there, I went on to developing another nootropic pill. I came up with this formula, you know, I was having a kid and I thought, Hey man, I got to figure out a way to stay mentally alert. So I developed this supplement called Accelerol just for myself to stay mentally alert. I decided again, same problem. We're talking about Jim. How do you get distribution? Uh, Well, let me see. Maybe. I'll sell it by subscription. Maybe I'll do this, but it was expensive. To get quality ingredients in there cost 120 bucks a bottle. Now we sell it for 39 bucks on Amazon called Accelerol. It's great. Uh, we've got another one called Focus Plus, uh, kind of similar, also inexpensive version of it. But back then it was 120 bucks. I thought we were at that time at a place where Jeff Bezos would answer the phone if you called enough. Jeff Bezos with Amazon would return emails. You could email jeff at amazon.com. It's no big secret now. And he would eventually respond to your email. We heard through the grapevine that he was opening up his seller platform, Amazon seller platform to third party sellers. That means that anyone, me, you, Jim, your uncle, your cousin, your wife could sell anything they wanted to within reason on the Amazon platform. And Amazon would just take a little commission and you could do what you wanted. I thought, yeah, that's cool. Let me try it on there. I put up Accelerol on Amazon overnight, went to sleep, didn't think much of it. I spent 15 minutes doing it. It was super easy. I woke up, we had thousands of orders at $120 a unit, if you can imagine. $120 a unit, thousands of orders. And I thought to myself, man, who is this Jeff Bezos guy? So I did a deep dive into Jeff Bezos. I did a deep dive into Amazon, and I realized that Bezos wasn't this like nerdy Silicon Valley guy that everybody thought him to be. He came from Wall Street. He mastered in how you get cheap money from Wall Street, infuse it into Silicon Valley, and build platforms that become dominant. No, not overnight, but over the course of 5, 10, 15 years— This was going to be the dominant platform where everybody bought everything. And I went on another journey. I decided that I was going to become a master at Amazon. And soon I would train people how to do what we did. And that's what happened. So over the last few years, I've been training people how to do what we do, how to pick products, find a product, put it on the Amazon platform and sell it, create these Amazon businesses where you create this recurring revenue stream that makes money for you while you sleep. And that's
0: what I do now. I just hit refresh on your website. That was—I don't know if you heard—it was your website talking to us right there, Shaheen. Oh wow! Okay, cool. You don't have the long hair anymore.
1: <laughs> I do not. I Neither have the do opposite.
0: I. So that's why I wouldn't poke fun at the bear unless I was as—I have four more hairs than you do. I'll just say that. So. Uh, it, it
1: feels good to have short hair. It really does, especially in your, you know, when you're in your forties. It's it's epic. I don't want to freaking go somewhere, sit somewhere, someone with their like. This is I, I love not having hair.
0: Yeah, but I'm in your fifties, so I <laughs> <laughs> I need hair. You're just out having your babies, is that right?
1: No, I've got a seven year old boy now.
0: Oh, okay. Well, congratulations on that.
1: Thanks, man. Appreciate it.
0: They are the the joy of life.
1: Best thing in the world. Best club in the world is to be a dad.
0: Yes. The only cooler club is a dad of someone who has a job. I've discovered that that's even cooler. So. Uh, a
1: dad of someone who has a job. Explain.
0: Well, that person, that child, my son is making a good living. He's making a hundred thousand dollars a year. He's. Out of my hair, ha, ha ha, and out in the real world, contributing to a business and growing a business and making a good living that I don't have to fund,
1: I gotcha, I love that, I love that, and I would. You know, it's when when you say job, automatically, all the red flags go off in my mind of like, selling your hours, don't sell your hours, (laughs) because all day long, Jim, I'm talking to people, and I'm telling them, dude, do not sell your hours, you can sell your hours for a period of time, especially when you're starting off as a teen, whatever, to get close to wealth to learn how to create wealth, to find a mentor, you can get a job, of course, but ultimately, you want to get out of the habit of selling your hours. It is the worst trap anybody has ever invented. It's where dreams go to die is the the four letter word job. I know it's only three letters, but I like to think of it as a four letter word.
0: Yeah, you know, he's only 23. So and he's learning how to sell from a I love it. Nasdaq organization, you know, a Nasdaq okay. traded company. So he's in a great organization learning to sell technology. Um, then it
1: makes sense. Then it makes sense if he's doing that. Cause he'll probably get contacts too. So he's always oh, getting tons
0: of contacts. Yeah. Yes. Yes.
1: Yeah. So, so he's building, he's building network and it's great. And you know, I think we came up at a different time. If you're in your forties and your fifties, the era that we came up was an era that was really ripe with grit. We had a Different mentality when we were coming up. When I was in school, I would get the living, you know what, kicked out of me every day. I'd go to the teachers. I'd be like, hey, you know, Johnny just kicked my butt. And they'd be like, well, what'd you do? Now, they're like, oh my God, we have to have a staff meeting. Let's talk it out. How are your feelings? Do you need to go talk to the feelings lady? And they they do that now. So I think in general, men in particular are coming up a lot softer now. And Very it, true. It's, it's leading to a generation that does not have the same grit as the generation before them. Not only that, they are lacking the survival and hunting skills as humans that have been established for all those years because they are attached to these electronic dopamine release devices that they think is reality.
0: Well, I'm going to brag on my son some more. He is, in college, won three Division One titles in wrestling in three years. Fourth year got canceled because of COVID. He was going for his fourth wow. in four years. Division One wrestling titles. Wow. Three. Wow. Yes. So, and he paid his own way through school. Got out of school with no debt. And... At 23, he's making 100K. Don't you want to hire him now? Do you want his number? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Send me his number. Let's, let's talk. That sounds amazing. Look, I, I am a student
1: of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And grappling or any kind of martial arts is one of the ways out. For all you parents listening, if you want your kids to grow up not soft but with thick skin, With resilience, with the ability to overcome adversity, you got to figure something out because it's not happening nowadays. The public school system certainly isn't fostering it. The private school system absolutely is not fostering it. So if you want your kids to have resilience and grit, you got to figure out a way. And I found a couple. The two main ones are going to be martial arts, getting them into something where they have combat like Greco-Roman like wrestling, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, kickboxing, Muay Thai. There's, there's amazing advancements in martial arts right now that would be amazing for kids. And build grit and resilience. And the other one is traveling with your kids. Go somewhere completely off the maps. And I don't mean go to Hawaii for the weekend or, or go to Cabo and sit on the beach at a all-expenses-paid all resort. But Traveling to the world, seeing pe- how people actually live eating that weird food that they've never eaten, doing those things that take them out of their comfort zone are the things that build character, resilience, and grit. And we have to get to that. And I teach that often to people in my Amazon Mastery course, in my mentorship programs, in my masterminds, that you have to do this. You have to figure a way out of what society Expects of you what society wants for you because what they want for you and what you want for you are going to be two very different things.
0: Do you know Chad Carceron? I do not. Chad, is that his last name or is his business name Carceron? He's the world jiu jitsu heavy, super heavyweight champion, lives here okay. in Atlanta. His Chad something or another, anyway. I want to tell you a very quick Amazon story. And, uh, I I think you'll find this humorous Shaheen. I got my wife, one of the Amazon sales systems for Christmas. You know, here's the complete thing. It was a skip McGrath. You may know him, his book. And my wife did it. And on December 26th, she incorporated and she made, I think $68,000 in her first year Working full time, we have four children. Also, our children span three decades. So, we have children in three different decades, believe it or not. We've managed that trick. Um, And two big dogs. And she also takes care of me. And I'm a big baby. And she has a full time, very, very big job. And she made $68,000 in her first year. Guess what her breakout product was? Um, Organic, gluten free non-gmo sex lube
1: oh i love it yeah <laughs> awesome
0: <laughs> i was so proud of her i just thought it was the funniest thing ever and we'd go to parties and tell people that she was you know the sex lube queen and so uh, yeah my wife- she's
1: doing what she did what we teach which is find a niche and dominate it that's exactly what you do you don't make a bet on what you love Maybe, I mean, I don't know. It's your wife. No, no, we that never, na- we,
0: we like lube. I, we have used a lube before we've been married, you know, a long time. We've got kids in three decades, remember? But, uh, gotcha. we didn't like this product at all, but we sold the hell out of it. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. And that's what you have to do. You have to put your personal preferences aside. We teach a whole system. We, we've over the last few years, figured out an algorithm that anybody can use that could identify products On the Amazon platform that are already successful, we can teach you how to identify what the vulnerabilities are in the market, where your competitors are weak, and how you can go in and select a product. Uh, that will meet that market demand so you don't have to do any education. The kiss of death in any marketplace is when you have to educate the consumer as to why to buy your product. Even why to buy your product over the other consumer's products, over the other seller's products, is is not the best place to be. You want to find that low-hanging fruit, which sounds like your wife did this intuitively because I know a lot of those systems don't teach what we teach, but you want to find that low hanging fruit and go after it and you know i've got actually uh, and i'll share this with you and your wife and and in fact any of your listeners we have a 1 hour course it's normally 200 bucks i'll offer it absolutely for free to any of your listeners that want to reach out to us at fba sellercourse.com that's FBasellercourse.com. Just contact us through there or check me out, ShaheenShan.com. Send me an email. And what I will do is I will send you my two-hour Amazon mastery course uh, for free. So you can see awesome. anybody can go on there. Yeah, I, my goal right now in my life, like you said at the beginning of the interview, like $350 drop the mic, whatever. Well, first off, we made a lot more than that. Not to brag, but we did. Secondly, and my book is called Billion, How I Became King of the Thrill starting to sound like Donald billion. Trump.
0: I know, right? <laughs> it's going to be huge. Ah, it's it's going to be huge. Except we don't have the hair for that. We don't have the hair to pull that off. I do not have the hair for that. No. But I, we got to run, I, I, Shaheen.
1: Okay, sounds great.
0: How do we find out more, follow, buy, sign up?
1: Yeah, thanks for asking. So we do a show that several times a week called Hack and Grow Rich. Check us out on YouTube, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, Audible, Google Podcasts, wherever podcasts are heard. If you enjoyed the information that I'm sharing for anybody who wants the course, it's absolutely free. Reach out to me and I will give you that $200 course for free. My email, my direct email, which I'll share on your show is d a r k z e s s at gmail.com drop me an email i respond to all emails i get to email zero every day and i will get back to you and my book jim which just dropped which tells that whole crazy story about herbal ecstasy what we talked about billion how i became king of the thrill pill cult is now available on amazon grab a copy leave me a review if you love it if you hate it if I can help you, influence you, impact you in any way to make a change in your life for the better, reach out to me and I appreciate your time and I'm grateful for you having me on your show.
0: Great interview, a lot of fun and we'd love to have you back in deep dive. We, we left 10 conversations on the blackboard we need to go back to. Uh, we'll do that next time. Shaheen, great stuff. Thank you so much for being with us. Thanks, man. Have a great day. And we will be right back. We are back. And again, thank you so very much for being with us. You know, this next book, next guest, I think is going to sort of encapsulate the last year and a half for me. I'm really excited to introduce Susan McPherson. She has just written a new book. I think it's about me. It's the lost (laughs) art of connecting the gather ass do method for building meaningful relationships. I mean, I feel like I have been lost. In connecting for the last year and a half. I can't wait. It is published by McGraw Hill. You don't get any more prestigious than that. She has 25 years of experience as marketing PR and sustainability executive, regularly working with great teams and great companies. She has contributed to places like Harvard business review, fast company Forbes has appeared on NPR, CNN USA today. And was just recently a selected 50 over 50 impact 2021 list by Forbes. I didn't know they were doing 50 over 50. I (laughs) I guess I qualify now. Damn it. You certainly do. Welcome. How are you?
2: I am. Well, it's so wonderful to be here. Thank you for the generous invitation.
0: You know, you go from 40 under 40 to 50 over 50 pretty fast, don't you? It's, yeah, it's it's whiplash, right?
2: <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> you snooze, you lose. You won't even notice.
0: That's right. You're a young star one day and a burned out old person the next. My
2: goodness. <laughs> Wait, speak for yourself. Well, that's true. That I'm I, I talking totally about me.
0: <laughs> All right. Talk to me about the book, The Lost Art of Connecting. I really feel like. I have not connected in a year and a half. I feel like we're, we're connect. Like you're not even allowed to connect anymore. That's it. It's illegal.
2: Well, I will actually, um, I will, I will argue that because you and I are connecting right now. And what may not have happened over the last year and a half was networking was those, you know, events where you kind of walk out and think, wait, what just happened? I have all these business cards in my pocket and then I don't know who I met, but instead, the one or one of the few silver linings of this pandemic is you've been having more meaningful conversations with people when you did have conversations with them. They may might not have been in person, but they were much more intentional when you did. And I think of that as connecting versus networking. Um, but I also just truth be told, the book, when you see the title, the immediate assumption is that it was written in response to the pandemic, and it was actually conceived four or five years ago. Um, it was written during the pandemic, but the original proposal and everything that went along with it was back in 2017.
0: So if I go to a party with my wife and she talks to 50 people for a minute each, and I talk to two people for a half hour each, is she networking and I'm connecting?
2: Well... Look, it really depends on what happens afterwards. Does she stay in touch with those people? Does she exchange ways to support one another? Does a year from now, does she remember those conversations? And does she follow through if she said she was going to be supporting or making an introduction to those people? If she did, then that was connecting.
0: Yeah, but she's only there for eight seconds, and she's really <laughs> not there mentally. <laughs>
2: Well, then I think you've answered your question.
0: <laughs> yeah. I like to tease her and she likes to tease me. So,
2: Well, that sounds like a very, very um, uh, beneficial relationship. That's what you should do. I hope it's gentle teasing though.
0: Yes. So what do I do when I am with someone if I want to connect, not network?
2: Uh, you lead with how you can be helpful to the other person and you listen more than you speak and you ask questions of the other person.
0: Okay. What if I can't whole, help yeah.
2: <laughs> Well, here's the thing. Every single one of us has superpowers. Every single one of us have secret sauces. Um, whether we you know, know how to cook a wonderful pasta sauce or we happen to know amazing restaurants in a particular city or we have... Um, uh, you know, a Rolodex that has has stood the test of time. We all can be helpful to one another. It's a matter of really thinking about ways you can be helpful ahead of time. And, you know, the book is divided into three parts called Gather, Ask, Do. And in the gather section, which is the first, the very first component is connecting with yourself and better understanding how you can show up for others in the world. And by doing so, you're actually... Going to achieve your goals faster by supporting others.
0: Can you tell me then about ask? So I understand gather. What's ask? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I don't don't like that. I'm not going to be good at this one because I'm not going to go and hit up on you like that. I kind of feel like it's rude. I don't know. I'm not good at asking you for stuff.
2: Well, that's the thing. Let me and let me back up just a little bit more on gather. Because in addition to figuring out what your superpowers are, you also think about what your goals are for the next four years, four months, and four weeks. And think very intentionally as to who do you want to meet or who do you want to reconnect with that you've lost touch with that can help you meet those goals. Does that make sense? Yes. I want to make sure.
0: (laughs) Right now, I feel like I just need to go back out and there's 50 people I just need to say hello to.
2: Well, you could be doing that right now. You could be setting up, you know, 10 minute conversations with those 50 people over the next five weeks. You could do three or four a week. And yes, you if, if, if you're if, if it's if it's possible to do it, you can do it in real life. But in my case, many of my friends may not be physically close. So I would have to do it via the obligatory Zoom or Google Hangouts or FaceTime or phone or text, or WhatsApp. I mean, we have a milieu of, of, of ways we can be connecting with one another. But yes. the good news is, is if you can get past that and really think intentionally about who do you want to either reconnect with is I think what I just heard you want to do, as well as who are new people that perhaps could be helping advance your goals, but also you could be helping them. And if you do that, then you can go to the ask phase. And in the ask, it's not about asking people to help you it's asking them the questions so you can understand what their hopes and dreams are and if you listen very carefully you can then get to the do and the do is when you actually do the do meaning if somebody said they have you know they wanted to join or get more involved in a particular cause and you happen to know somebody you could make that introduction or you know if somebody said to you i i want to travel to you know once this pandemic is over to a particular place you've been, perhaps you have tips. I mean, these are, it doesn't have to be, you know, rocket science, but these are things that over time you continue to go back and forth. And I'm a big believer in reciprocity. I'm also not suggesting that you're all walking around a room and just say to people, hi, how can I help you? That, that would be, you know, ridiculous, borderline certifiable, certifiably crazy, but
0: instead and I know that you know- person, I, I, I know that <laughs> You know, because seriously, Susan, I feel like certain people and people in certain industries hear half of an interview like this or see the title of your book and go and listen to it in Reader's Digest (laughs) condensed version and then go, oh, so that's what I'm going to do when I'm trying to sell my pens (laughs) You know, you go to
2: the next chamber
0: of commerce meeting and the guy's got a pen to give you, you know, and, oh, you know, and you're just dreading. I
2: know. I know. Well, that goes back. I'm here to serve. I'm just here to serve you.
0: How can I serve? You know, you could go away. Serve me by leaving. How about that? (laughs)
2: That would work. So,
0: (laughs) All right.
2: All of
1: this
0: sort of assumes, well, I guess it does. Does it assume that I have something to offer everyone that I'm connecting with?
2: I mean, you cer I mean, that's a, that's a quite a generalization to make. I mean, everyone you meet is a very, very wide universe. This is why it goes back to that intentionality and thinking about your own goals right i mean there's what nine or ten billion people on the planet you know it doesn't make sense to meet every single one of them but i I think the thing is (laughs) but the thing is is it's it's a pivot to to basically move through the world with unbelievably um intentional curiosity and this notion that every single person we meet actually does have something to offer I think sometimes we grow up um, making preconceived notions based on the roles that people hold in society. And I beg to differ because to me, when I look back at the last 30 years professionally, it's those doors that I opened that I didn't think was gonna, anything was going to be on the other side when there was.
0: Well, that's very true. That old stupid expression, you never know who you're going to meet. and
2: you don't know what you don't know. Yes. And, and, and we learn so much from every single person we have interactions with some, you know, it'll lead to, you know, euphoria and others will be just another person with a business card. But the thing is, is when we stop having that desire to connect, we're going to miss that opportunity to advance and to expand and to just be inspired.
0: Uh, Susan, I have a sad story to share the oh, no. Atlanta Chamber of Commerce used to be a great organization with thousands of members, and they had a building right next to the Olympic Park downtown. So go up on their roof, and you could, you felt like you were participating in everything going on downtown. And they had lots of events where the CEO yeah. of Delta would come and they would force him to come. And to meet with all of the members of the chamber, and he would go home with 500 business cards in his pocket, 500 people who have stalked him, (laughs) who now want to sell Delta pens. And they got so tired of it that the 30 largest organizations that made up the chamber, companies like Delta and Home Depot and Coca-Cola and Truist and the big companies here in town said, you know what, we're tired of it. And so the chamber reorganized itself. It is now only for the 30 biggest companies in Atlanta. They got rid of all of the small business events, the connecting events, the networking events. They got rid of all of it. They sold their building on the park, tore it down, and now have an office on the 38th floor of a 40-story skyscraper.
2: Well, to me, you know what I would say. There's an opportunity for another organization or a group of people to fill that void. They said,
0: "Go to the chamber, you know, go to your local Fulton County Chamber, you know." And so they were very rude about it and said the other organizations could make up the slack. But uh, you know what it gets to, though, is your idea of intentionality. That Mm -hmm. they didn't like the intentionality of people coming with the idea of, I'm here to meet you, to give you my pen catalog. Right. (laughs) How do I be intentional without stalking? There's a very fine line there, I think. Of course. And I feel like I've had people stalk me professionally. And, you know, just... You're, you're kind of weird. That's the, take two <laughs> steps back and breathe in the other direction. You know.
2: I think I think you have every right to state that if somebody is being you know in your face to an, a point, to a point where it is it is annoying, horrific, and damn right scary. But um, you know, the book was written very much for a professional audience. But it and and, and believe it or not, I am a trained salesperson. I was trained in the early 90s, and one of the things I learned more than anything was listening to what others' needs were and then fulfilling them. But yet, when I do events and I ask for a show of hands in the audience on how many people will connect with somebody on LinkedIn or receive an invitation to connect, and then within an hour, that person on the other end is basically trying to sell you something, that is exactly the opposite of what I put forth in my book. Instead, when you connect with somebody on LinkedIn or invite them to connect, come prepared with a way you can be helpful to them. And the interesting thing is, unlike 30 years ago when I started out professionally and I had the Yellow Pages and the Encyclopedia Britannica before I would go to an event or meet somebody or do research. Now you have every platform in the world to find out enough about someone that you can offer up a way to be helpful. Whether, again, it's an introduction, whether it's a little bit of information, whether it's sh- giving them some love on social media. There's all these ways so that when you do make that connection, it isn't like, hi, will you buy from me? But rather, hi, I know you got this new role and I happen to know three people who work at that company. Or, hi, I know this cause is a particular value and I'm going to make a $15 donation in your name. You know, just going that one little bit extra so it doesn't become stock S if that's a word (laughs) or, uh, to me, those are the stepping stones to building a long-term reciprocal relationship. It's not about what can you get today? What can you get tomorrow? It's what can you get over 30 years?
0: I love that. I like that. That makes a lot of sense. And if you do that, well, I would never forget that. Because it's so rare that it happens well.
2: Yes. No, but I I beg to differ. And I I also have to say, I founded my company that I run now eight years ago when I was 48 years old. Never had been an entrepreneur, never had a dream to be an entrepreneur. And eight years goes by, and 95% of our business has been inbound. That tells me that all those connections and all those meetings and the people that I supported have actually come back around. And it's not like they're all buying from the services my company provides, but they know someone who knows someone who knows someone who's now maybe a client.
0: Is that the constellation effect?
2: But yes. The constellation effect is all about the fact that you, know, you, can, you can only control so much, and when you connect people whether it's one other person or connecting two other people, the impact that happens from that becomes almost like stories. They become, you know, and um, the connection back to uh, the, the original idea of the constellations was from people in antiquity trying to make sense out of the sky, right? And so you wouldn't know what would ha- what the sky story was until you assigned these kind of um you know, uh, fictional tapestries to them, whether it was Sagittarius or Capricorn. Um, but just a side note, the only constellation I've ever seen is the Big Dipper. I don't know about you.
0: I totally <laughs> agree with you. Those constellations don't look anything like uh, a crab or whatever. Susan, what do I do in this situation when I have someone who asks for a meeting yes. and my wife has forced me to start doing this. My wife has forced me to start asking what the meeting is about.
2: Yeah. As same opposed
0: thing. to, okay, sure. And then people say, well, I just want to get together and chat or I want to see if there's something we can work on or, you know, I, I get tired of having meetings where people don't come with an idea of what we're going to talk about or come with a proposal. I don't want to meet with you to figure out where we could have synergies. Yep. Is that, you know what I mean by that? Is that
2: it's again, back to that intentionality you have, you are asking for intentionality from another person. And in my book, I actually interviewed someone who gave very um, specific advice about that. Be direct. Everybody's time is precious and it is totally fair to say, you know, what are three things you want to gain from our meeting? And that way you have the opportunity to either turn down the meeting or perhaps have a meeting in a different way, meaning maybe answer the questions via email. So you don't have to go have the meeting, right? I mean, I think you position it as you want to be most effective and the best way to be most effective is to understand what the person wants to gain from this. And you may learn when you ask this person that if the person provides it, and if they don't, you're, you're not going to have the meeting. But if the person provides that, you can make the determination of maybe you're not the best person to have the meeting. And instead, you may be able to recommend someone else.
0: Great advice. I will tell that to my wife and that's how we'll do it. (laughs) Susan, how do we find out more? Follow online, get a copy of the book.
2: The book can be found anywhere books are sold, online or in person. The website for the book is the com, And everyone and anyone who wants to find me can find me on the interwebs at Susan mcp one And my company is McPherson Strategies.
0: Fantastic. I should mention too, that the book has almost 105 star ratings on that Amazon thing. That is pretty damn impressive. I rarely see one with that many reviews. Congratulations, Susan. Great stuff. Appreciate being with us. Absolutely
2: fabulous to be here. Thank you.
0: And we are out of time on this beautiful Friday. I hope you have a great weekend. Susan, what are you doing this weekend?
2: I am actually heading to Portland, Maine,
0: Oh, I love it up there. Yes,
2: I do, too. I do, too. It'll be chilly, but you know what? A fall chill day is totally fine by me.
0: All right. We're out of here, everybody. Thank you for being a great listener this week. We will be back next week with more School for Startups Radio. Bye now.